podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks. It's nice of you to finally join us again as we approach this most historic of ending of the seasons. Yeah, well, I thought after spending a week in France, letting them know where they're going wrong with their lives, I thought I'd come back and, you know, do what I do. Uh, we have one game left in the Premier League, Carl. It is Liverpool versus Wolverhampton Wanderers. It is worth pointing out, and I've said it on the Daily Red today, it is worth repeating, I think. We are the first ever English team to go into the last game of a domestic season with a chance of still winning the quadruple. Like That in itself is an incredible achievement. Yeah, it's lunacy. It actually borders on unbelievability. I mean, it really... It does highlight definitely the the way that um, elite-level football has trended to fewer teams being capable of winning trophies. But even aside from that, the fact that we have done it and are in a position to actually go on and win all of them, even if we don't, like just to be there at this late, 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 late stage, it, it's just phenomenal. It really is. It's as good as Man City are and everything that they've thrown at getting bigger in the way that they have done to still be a point away is just nonsense, mm. regardless of what we've done in the cup, uh, cup competitions, to be honest. Uh, but when you combine that with winning them along the way and another chance of the big one that nobody else in England has. Exactly. And like you say, with City throwing everything, and by that, you of course, you do mean cheating. By their cheating, and we're still only a point behind them, it is incredible. And look, if we win a domestic... Look, I, I think regardless of what happens from here to the end of the season, so two games, I think we've proven that we're the best team in England this season, regardless of whether they win the league or not, regardless of the Champions League final. The fact that we're in a Champions League final and they're not... The fact that we've got two cups in the bag and they don't. The fact that we've lost less games and them scored more goals, conceded less goals. I think we've proven this season that we're a better team than them. I think they've had a little bit of fortune in the Premier League. I think they've had three games change on massive, massive decisions that went in their favour. The Rodri handball, which was a blatant handball. The... Moutinho handball, which was never a handball in a million years, and two of the decisions in the game against Arsenal, where Arsenal should have had a stonewall penalty and City got one for a dive. I think, you know, for everybody wanting to call us, you know, live VAR pool or whatever nonsense they want to do, City have been the ones that have benefited more from big, big controversial decisions this season. And that's why, you know, if they win the league, it it is going to be because of points picked up in those games. 
it'll be frustrating, but I still think we've proven we're a better team. Yeah, I agree, to be honest. I mean, <clears throat> depends how you want to classify best, obviously, as that's very uh, wide-ranging and everyone can have their own opinions, whether it's just winning matches and get the most points or whether it's playing the best type of football or whether it's being best at all competitions overall and your average finishing position for them, if you like. You know, we're number one in the cup and number one in the cup and number one or two in the other cup and number one or two in the league. You, you're not going to get much better than that, to be perfectly honest. Um I don't really want to think about what the reaction would have been like if we hadn't have won against uh, Southampton after the goal that they got given and <laughs> VAR choosing not to overrule for what was... I don't even know how to describe it. It's not, not so much as an obvious foul, but just it's beyond obvious. It like it just mm. is. He he kicked him and that, that's it. That's really all there is to it. Um, it was just a bizarre, bizarre turn of events. It can't possibly have been that it was too far back time-wise or uh, in a different passage of play because it wasn't. It was literally at the end of that move. It, it was just all of it really weird. I don't really like to go into VAR being a, a, you know, a cause and effect of where the league title ends up. At the end of the day, I think we can probably look back at one specific performance this season, which we dropped points in which we shouldn't have because of a bad performance, and that was Leicester. But on the other hand, if you get to the end of a season and you've basically got one bad performance across all four competitions, I also don't think you can really complain about that as a supporter. No, no, I don't either. But, you know, it is that Redmond goal. It's the the, the Villa goal the previous week also. Ridiculous because there's a clear offside. These rules are nonsense and the VAR has been nonsensical on multiple occasions for us and against us this season. Um, But yeah, you're right. Look, we need to focus in on, on the game. We have Wolves this weekend. Before we get to that, we were asked by somebody. Uh, we were asked by Shamik to do a Premier League version of a bang average 11 for uh, th- this past season. So we have both put together teams. And uh, let's start. What formation have you gone for here? I have gone for a fairly average 3-4-3. Okay, I've gone 4-3-3. Painfully average. (laughs) Uh, Who's your goalkeeper? It is Southampton's finest or second finest on any given week, Mr. Average McCarthy. That's exactly who I've got as well. Alex McCarthy, a bang average Premier League goalkeeper. Uh, moving then to defence, um, I'll give you my four and then you can give me your three. I've gone Aaron Wan-Bissaka at right back. I think he is bang average, decent defensively, but fairly poor going forward. But he's generally six out of ten most weeks, which for me is bang average. I've got Matt Target, the Newcastle version, at left back. Uh, the Villa version was just flat out poor, but I think at Newcastle he has been six out of ten. Some of their fans quite excited by Matt Target, but that's what happens when you watch Paul Dummett and um, and the like play in that position for a couple of years. At centre back, I've gone Pontus Janssen and Eric Dyer, two players for me who just define what it is to be bang average. So Wan Bissaka, Dyer, Janssen, and Matt Target is my back four. 
That is exceedingly average. It it almost put me to sleep listening to the names come out. That's how average it was. Um, I had to reshuffle my defense around a little bit because I actually broke one of my own rules. Uh, we said in the spirit of averageness, we're not going to go for anybody with uh, fewer than four starts in the league. And uh, they've got to have no more than, what was it, 33 or 34? I said something like that. Start, mm. So they couldn't be an every week player or a never player either. Very, very average. Uh, in the end, I have gone for a back three of um, Gibson from Norwich, Ezra Konsa from Aston Villa, who is a very, very good defender, but he's not had his good no, season. He's, he's been he's been minged this season, Carol, is what happened. He's been extremely inconsistent, which on the face of it is not the biggest issue because he's a young defender and still only you know getting towards 100, 150 games in the top flight. But you don't want to let this leak into a second season because then you stop being you know, a very good young defender and you become an average defender. So he needs to sort that out for next season. He's out now for, I think about 12 weeks as well with a, with an injury. So hopefully a full recovery over the summer. Uh, my third one is the one who I mentioned pre pod. Uh, I said, it's a bit of a worry when a totally average season sees you as actually one of the better players of the team. And that's Victor Lindelof of Man United. Oh, that's a really good shout. That's a really good shout. Uh, I'm, I'm looking. Eric Dyer has already made 34 starts this season and in all likelihood will make a 35th. Oh, is that 34 starts? Let, let me see. Let me see. Eric Dyer. Go on, anyway. Go with the rest of yours. Is that the... So you've got Lindelof, Gibson Konza, and Konza. Ben Gibson. Of Norwich fame. The great Ben Gibson. Uh, Middlesbrough's finest, as uh, as Guy will tell you. Uh, right, I want to see if Eric Dyer actually he's, is he's allowed. He's on thirty four starts. He is on thirty four starts. That is not good. Would it not Would it be good. also acceptable to no, say that no, he's, no, he's... no, 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 wrong? He he appears to have come on as a sub, or did he go off? No, no, he's played. He's made thirty four starts. So he went off early against Crystal Palace early in the season. Then. Hmm. hmm. We may have to leave him out. I'm afraid we may have to sub in a player uh, because he is going to make a 35th start, and that would make him far too much of a regular. So I think I'm going to steal one from you. I'm going to unite them at centre back. It is the Swiss pair of Victor Lindelof and Pontus Janssen. Uh, Swiss Swedish pair. Uh, a nationality uh, change as well, there. I feel like I should probably pick Emil Kraft at left at right back now, just to you know give more um, more IKEA feel to this team. But uh, I'm gonna go. I'll, I'll stick with. I can't. Oh, I can't. I can't have Lindelof because I've already got Wan Bissaka, and you can only have one player per team. You see, listeners, this is what happens when you go on holiday. You lose your edge. Hagler Sianchu has been flat out shit this season, so he can't mm-hmm. be in. I'll take Johnny Evans. I'll take Johnny Evans as my as my other centre back. I don't have a Leicester player, and Johnny Evans has been fairly bang average this season, which is what Johnny Evans generally is. So I'll go Johnny Evans next to Pontus Janssen, a nice old slow centre back pairing, um, and that'll do me right. Moving into midfield, then what have you got uh, at wing back? I have. Johnny Evans' teammate, actually, Ricardo Pereira. He has um, 
not quite roared back onto the scene this year. He had a couple of good games when he started back from injury and again, um, but then has you know very, very quickly become standard Leicester fair and not really very fun to watch anymore considering what it used to be. On the other side, I have Mr. Average Wing back himself, Solly March. Reliable, steady, consistently average. Um, a model professional. A model, a model runner down the touchline. That's what he is. Uh, and central midfield pairing, uh, Matthias Klick, I think he's probably been excused from the worst of Leeds' defensive performances by virtue of not really doing anything average. And I've also gone for uh, Newcastle's Joe Willock, who has had a remarkable downturn since making his loan move permanent. Yeah, who knew that, you know, players performing really well in front of no crowds did not mean they were 20-odd million pound players. Um, I think that's a, a solid midfield. Here's a question for you, off topic a little bit, but Ricardo Pereira, if you were Leicester City manager this summer and you had a fully fit James Justin back now, would you look to move Pereira on, knowing that this is probably the last summer you'll get a good fee for him and he is looking like he might be declining a little bit? Um, if there was a good offer there, then yeah, I'd be tempted to take it. But I'll be honest, if I was Leicester manager, there would be a big old clear out and he wouldn't be at the top of the list, not even on the fullbacks top of the list. That would be Castagno, who I think has been an absolute shocker this year. Uh, that's, a, that's a typical Brendan Rodgers signing is Castagna. So, you know, you get what you get. A bit like Yannick, Yannick Vestergaard. Right, my yeah. midfield three. Vestergaard, by the way, 15 million sign-in. He has started in two wins in the league this season. Mm. I, had a look, I had a look at him yesterday. He was fully fit, and they were playing Wilf and Didi at centre-back mm. while Vestergaard sat on the bench. Um, I considered in my midfield, including Liverpool's club captain, but I don't even think he qualifies. Tut, tut. Uh, I have gone for John... Mc- oh, John McGuinness probably played too many games... He has probably played too many games. I'll give you my other two first anyway. I've gone for the two model professionals. Two lads who define bang average. John McGinn has only played... John McGinn McGinn gets in. He missed a few games. That's fine. John McGinn qualifies. I've gone for Mark Noble. A career of being bang average. He's a squad player now for... You're not allowed. You're not allowed him. Why? He's only made three starts. He's starting the next game. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. He's going to start the weekend. I don't know about that. Right. I'll leave him out. (laughs) Doff of the cap. Doff of the cap to Mark Noble. A defining bang average player of the last 15 years. Proof that if you're English... And run a lot, you can get by. Uh, James Milner, bang average. He's in without question. Six out of ten most weeks, bang average. And I'll bring in James MacArthur from Crystal Palace, who is another bang average player, uh, steadying influence, a model professional. Uh, reliable, never lets you down, does it all for the team type of job. So I've got McGinn, McGinn, MacArthur and Milner 
uh, with Mark Noble on the touchline giving them all, you know, instruction on, on how to be bang average. You, you're playing a bit too well there. Settle down. Um, and that's my back three. That's my midfield three then. Uh, MacArthur, Milner, and McGinn. We've both got front threes. Mm. So give me your first one. I've got a bit of a problem in that I can't actually read my own writing for one of these names. Uh, but on the right-hand side, I've got Callum Hudson-Odoi, who has been spectacularly average and done mm. an incredible amount of nothing this season. Obviously another injury, obviously another out-of-favour run. Uh, got a few games at wing-back, a few games in the forward line, a few games you know, coming on as a non-impact substitute. I think that's all perfectly average. Yeah, he, he has had a very, very disappointing season. And if ever a fella needed to get a move away, I think it might be him. It's not all that long ago that people were talking about him in the same way we talk about Saka and Sancho and Foden and this immense young generation of English talent that's appearing. Uh, Hudson Adoy was, you know, was right in that group and he has fallen by the way. So it looks like he may well now change his international allegiance and go play for Ghana, which is a, a big, big get for them if they get him and Lamptey. That's a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a good sign. I've got Richarlison on the right of my front three. I think he's been painfully average this season. He may well just be a painfully average player, but there's just... He, he, in recent weeks, he's turned it on a little bit and he scored a couple of big goals. But if we go back to August and look at his performances all the way through, it is it is painful. So I've got Richarlison there. Uh, I'll give you my number nine. Then I've got uh, I've got Raúl Jiménez. Hmm. I, I think he has been disappointing this season from what we know he can be. But obviously, the head injury has been a bit major factor. But I think this season he has been pretty bang average. Like he still does a lot of decent things for the team. But more often than not, he's missing big chances or, you know, he's just not of the standard required. Only six goals this season. It's fairly bang average. So I'll go for him. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Quick stat for you for Richarlison. He has had the exact same number of shots this season as he has committed fouls. Not really sure what that tells us about Everton. No. No, I, no, it doesn't. It 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 doesn't really open the eyes too much. Um, but what a mess of a team! What an absolute mess of a team! Uh, who's your nine? Uh, my nine is actually your nine's most average best mate teammate. Um, it's Huang, who started the season looking like he would be a mighty fine addition, and has since gone on to score a mighty average one goal since October in the Premier League. Uh, as far as forwards go, it's very, very wolvesy. It's very, very average, and it very, very tees him up to score four at the weekend, no doubt. Yeah, I, I had a feeling that when they announced that they'd activated the the buy clause in his contract in the summer, in in January rather, mm. that they might end up regretting the decision. And a bit, uh, I, a bit willicky, a, a, a bit willicky, yeah, a bit, a bit Joe Willock, a bit. Like, you know, those teams that were tempted to pay big money for Jesse Lingard and then didn't and are now very relieved that they didn't. Uh, Wang and Joe Willock are the, the opposite of that. Dave, uh, right. Dave, Yo. are, we, are, we, are, we, are we tempting problems here by both picking the Wolves number nines? 
No, because they're garbage, and we've got Virgil right. van Dijk, Ibu Kanate, Joel Matip, and Joe Gomez. Well, Joe Gomez is going to miss out, but we've got Ibu, Matip, and Virgil. We're we're good. We're good. good. Those boys are spending. Those boys are on the beach. We'll get on to them, but like Wolves are the most on the beach team in the Premier League since the middle of February. So um, I needed that reassurance. That's all. Right. Who is your last player then? It appears to be Jordan Ayew, although I have spelt his name with the Y and the W the wrong way round somehow. So it's Jordan Away. Well, he may be this summer. Mm, he yeah. might well be. He's not done anything to warrant staying anyway, so he's been no. pretty average. Yeah, he has. And that is sort of him. He is the, the lesser Ayew brother. I think, I think Andre's a vastly superior player, and yet Andre's found himself grafting away in the championship for multiple seasons while... Jordan has been playing Premier League football. Um, yeah, just a painfully average strike. What did he get this season? Like two goals? Mm, something two. like that? Yeah, not great. Not great. Um, I considered Jack Grealish in this last role, but I think that would be giving Jack Grealish too much credit for the season he's put forward. So I've gone with Josh King of Watford, uh, who's just always struck me as a bang average player. And this season... I think he's been bang average. He's had a couple of decent performances, a couple of bad performances, but largely he's fairly just run of the mill, goes out, runs around a bit, sometimes gets the ball, sometimes doesn't, doesn't really care either way. Uh, I'll go Josh King as my, my third and final attacker. Who's your captain? Who's the most average of the average averageness? Well, it would have been Mark Noble, but I'm not allowed to have him. <laughs> um, I think I'll go John McGinn because for me there's this like John McGinn is is surprisingly highly rated for what he is as a footballer and I know his progressive numbers are always quite good but a lot of that is because he just boots the ball down the channel and lets players run after it. Um, I'm not a fan. I'm going to go with him because the likes of MacArthur and Milner they just are what they are. I mean, they get overhyped because intangibles and whatever else. But McGinn, I just don't see it with him. So John McGinn and his, his big fat arse, I'm going to go with him as my captain. Who's yours? Uh, I'm going to go with Solly March. I think he's just, you know, if you were playing yeah, like, yeah, football manager or FIFA, he'd just be like middle of the road stats for everything, wouldn't he? He'd be like crossing, 10, stamina, 12, passing, 9. Work rate eleven, you know. Yeah, yeah. Head down the he, middle. He is. He is the epitome of a bang average player. I do regret my decision not to pick Solly March, to be honest. Um, because what I really like about Solly March is it's not just that he's you know bang average in his position. He can play four or five positions, and he's mm. bang average in all of them. He's just the same version of Solly March everywhere they put him. That's. That and it's look. Milner's made a career of being bang average in a bunch of positions, so it, it's not a, a, a knock on him. And to be fair, Milner early in his career was was a good player in a three, but at City and at Liverpool, he's just made a career and have been bang average in a bunch of positions and been able to be dropped in here, there, and everywhere to fill in. Uh, Solly March obviously doesn't have the career that Milner's had but you know he is now what or he has been for his entire career what Milner has been for probably the last 
I know, decade, however long since he joined City. Uh, do, you know so you- do you know what's mad? If you took Solly March and put him in Man United's team in the rebuild, he'd play the exact same way and would probably help the team. Yeah, because, because he'd be 6 out of 10 every game. Like, if you put yeah. him at Arsenal right now... You'd, he's he'd he's be, one of those players who'd give you stability wherever he is, whatever his teammates are like, whatever mm. the system is. He just he will do the job which is needed. And I have like I like quite a lot of the players I've picked in this team. It sounds kind of you know downplaying their their abilities and that, but while that might be the case with some of them, it's not really. I, I like some of these players, and they've just been very very average. And if you're average in the Premier League, let's be fair, we'd all take that. So. <laughs> But the thing with Solly March is, like, first of all, he's only 27, which is ludicrous to me because he's been around forever. But he's the same player now as he was when Brighton were in the championship. He just, he does the same things every single game. He scores between one and three goals pretty much every season. He's getting three goals in the championship, his best Premier League season. He got three last year. He's just the same guy. He makes all the same decisions, does all the same things, and it's admirable, for sure it's admirable. Like you said, if you can be a bang average Premier League player, that's a great, great career. Solly March has been in the Premier League now five seasons, and he's largely been, when fit, a regular for Brighton because he can fit in here, there, and everywhere. Those type of players do have value, for sure. Um... Same thing goes for James MacArthur. Like, excuse me. I think when MacArthur's not in the Palace team, they miss him. Mm. When he's there, you might not notice him. But when he's not there, you do notice that he's not there because he makes those clever decisions. He keeps the ball. He doesn't charge at a position like an idiot to go and try and win something he can't win. He just does. All the fundamental things. And that's what this is. Like, Juan Bissaka, maybe less so. He relies a lot on athleticism. But Johnny Evans, Pontus Janssen, and Matt Target have good fundamentals. Like, they're well-schooled. They've been brought up to play the right way. It's just that there's a talent barrier on how good they can be. Same thing with my midfielders. Now, I think Richarlison is a massive waste of talent. Uh, I think Josh King is a bang average player. And I think he, like he's the same kind of thing. Does the right things, gets himself in the right positions, makes the right pass, but doesn't necessarily have the talent to take advantage of his... Remember Jurgen Klopp said about himself how he had was it a Division One brain and a Division Four talent or something like that? I think a lot of these players are a little bit like that. I think like the likes of MacArthur and, and Matt Target and that, not Division Four talent, I think they've probably got championship-level talent, but they're well-schooled, they're intelligent enough, and that's why they become valuable squad players at the Premier League level. Yeah, can I agree more. You You always need some of them in the squad or in the team, if you're going to be a successful side, you know, they might not be the every single week players all the time. They might not be the ones who score the crucial goals and get the headlines and all the rest of it, but they get the job done game after game after game. You know, people like Shinji Okazaki would be a perfect representation of this. Yeah. And like most of that Leicester title winning team, like 
Danny Simpson, Christian Fuchs, Wes Morgan and Rob, Rob Huth. None of them are good defenders. None of them are bad defenders. They're all bang average. And because every single week they went out and they were 6 to 7 out of 10, that was good enough. The same thing in midfield with Danny Drinkwater, a bang average player. But because he could give them 6 out of 10 every week, and Mark Albrighton could do the exact same. Mark Albrighton actually should probably have gotten more consideration for our teams here. Those two were bang average. Okazaki was bang average. But then you had those, with, with all those giving you six and seven out of ten every single week, then Mares and Kante and Vardy and Schmeichel giving you eight and nines most weeks was enough for Leicester to win the title. You know? Uh, I, It'll never happen again. And there's a there's a James Milner interview with Alan Shearer where he said something about I haven't read it, but he, something along the lines of Graham Souness said you'll never win anything with a team of Milners, and people use that as a stick to beat Souness with. But Souness was right. In general, you won't win a win a, a thing with a team of Milners. But if you can have a couple of Milners in your squad, that's what you need. Like. There's a reason for the first half of James Milner's career, he won nothing as a starter. And the second half of his career, he won everything as a squad player. He won titles and cups at City as a squad player, titles and cups at Liverpool as a squad player. In the years he was a starter for Liverpool, Liverpool won nothing. But as a squad player, he's got more value. So it's absolutely to be admired. Milner's had a great career, but his... His best has been as a squad player, and he's most valuable in that role. If he was starting every single game, we'd be fourth. It's just what it would be. Um, right, we should probably move on to Wolverhampton Wanderers, who we play this weekend. Wolves have won five, ten, three of their last 13 games, two draws, and eight defeats. They've been on the beach since beating Leicester in February. Uh, Their wins since that Leicester game, they beat a dreadful Watford team, a fairly dreadful Everton team, a mediocre Aston Villa team. They drew away with Chelsea because everybody draws at Chelsea these days or beats them. And they drew 1-1 with Norwich at the weekend. They have lost to Arsenal, West Ham, Crystal Palace, Leeds, Newcastle, Burnley, Brighton, and a hammering by Manchester City. Um, Should we be scared of them in any way? Should we be of anybody? No. The only only scary bit here is that you have to beat them, if you know what I mean. You know, every, every team will try and raise their game to play Liverpool. You know, we've just had Southampton one win in 11 before they played us and suddenly turn around and go, well, this is our Champions League final. Why wasn't it your Champions League final two weeks beforehand? Why wasn't it your Champions League final for literally any other game that you've played over the last three months? And teams do this routinely and it is a bit annoying and it's a bit frustrating and it can be a bit nervy at times as well. And some of the times more Wolves than Southampton, let's say, but when they're playing well, when they were doing well earlier in the season, with a really, really good shape and a really hard-working uh, defensive line, 
they weren't conceding very many chances at all. Not not just goals, chances. You couldn't really get shots yeah. away against them and stuff like that. And that's why they were in a position to go for, yeah, let's say, sixth or seventh, really. Uh, probably not any higher than that. But they could have got a sixth or seventh place finish if they'd have maintained their sort of, not even their best run of form across January, but let's say the September to November sort of form where they were winning maybe three or four out of every five or six or seven games. If they'd have carried on that through April and into May now, they would have been in the running for a European spot. But yeah. like you say, they've, they've been pretty shambolic for the last eight games or so, something like that. And, and, and they're uh, potentially yeah. going to fall out of the top eight now because Leicester are three points behind with a better goal difference and a game in hand tonight against Chelsea. And they play Southampton at the weekend at home. So Leicester could finish above Wolves even though I don't think anyone could really make a case that this season Leicester have been a better team. I think Wolves have been the better team this season. Now, I think Leicester are a better team overall. I think they proved that over the last two seasons. Or not, not this season, last season, the year before. But like it, it, Wolves really have just kind of thrown away what was, up until the middle of February, quite a good season for them. Yeah, I mean, a drop from, even if it is, let's say, 7th down to ninth, it's cost them a couple of million quid for the summer in prize money. It cost them, obviously, if they finish 7th, the possibility of being in Europe again next season, uh, as that's you know where you're looking at now for Europa Conference League and all the rest of it. It probably undermines rebuilding plans to a certain extent. Um, you know, people like Nervous maybe wanting to leave if they're, just like ninth or 10th in mid-table versus 6th or 7th or even only just finishing 8th, a point or so behind. When you picked up two points from the last six matches and Leicester have picked up eight, that's a big turnaround for mid-table teams. You know That's that's how they've been able to close the gap, just by finishing a bit more strongly while Wolves are, along with Saints and Norwich, which is just a standard affair, uh, the teams who have just checked out two months early. Yeah, exactly. And... The thing with this Wolves team is there's, there's quite a lot of talent there. But as you said, the likes of Neves isn't going to want to stick around and finish in mid-table every year. If you're not ch- you're not getting into Europe, he's not going to be interested. Uh, not getting into Europe has likely cost them the chance to sign Trinkio as well, who they did seem keen on keeping. But that one now seems to be uh, going by the wayside. You look at the squad and... Like, let's be fair, Jose Sa has had an outstanding first season in the Premier League. Both of us thought this is a bad signing. Uh, he was dreadful at Porto, wasn't impressive at Olympiacos. But over the course of this season, I think he's been very, very good for them. Like, Ramsdale got an awful lot of hype throughout the season. Jose Sa has been a much better performer this season for Wolves than Aaron Ramsdale was for Arsenal. I, I think, you know, I think we both need to, well, I, I, I need to say I, I was wrong about him. Now, we'll see how he does next season because maybe it's just, you know, a blip, but he has one really good season. But I think, to be fair to him, he has had a very good year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, his shot stopping has been much more consistent, solid than it was beforehand. Uh, I absolutely maintain the fact that the clean sheets and the defensive record that they had was much more to do with the... Um, defensive organization which was a mm. load more improved from last season uh earlier on in this campaign and the, 
how do you put it, not work rate as such, but you know how quickly they were able to shift themselves around. People like Max Kilman really stepping up and being a, an improved part of that trio at the back. But yes, Sa in one-on-ones and with any kind of shot stopping was a lot better than I expected him to be, to be fair. I have seen some wild stats thrown out suggesting that he's, you know, the best goalkeeper in the league and the best goalkeeper around most of Europe this season based on uh, basically the differentials between the shots numbers that he's faced, the number of goals that those shots would, not by XG of individual shots, but, you know, an average of shots, how many you would normally concede and how many he saved. Um, Just to point out how that doesn't quite translate to what you're trying to make it, uh, say to those people, the actual record holder for that particular stat is Simon Mignolet, 2013-14. So if you want to judge that as the height of elite goalkeeping, be mm. my guest. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, in defence, you mentioned Max Kilman. I think he has been really, really good this season. Um, may well have a case for an England call-up at some point, but We'll wait and see how he does next season. Because, again, you know, one season, a lot of players do well for one season. Cody, obviously, is is just what he is. He's fine in a three. He struggles in a four. I think the same is true of whether it's Willie Bolly or Romain Sice. They're fine in a three. They can't play in a back four. And that's probably why Bruno Lage has been forced to play a back three this season. Because he wants to play a four. Same as Thomas Tuchel wants to play a four. But when you don't have the individual defenders to play in a back four, it's sometimes just easier to play a back three. You know, you look at what Tuchel has done with Rudiger, who was on his way out of the club, couldn't get a game in a back four because he was all over the place, but has looked really, really good in a three. Same thing with Thiago Silva, looked finished in a four at PSG. Playing in a three at Chelsea, he's obviously done very well. Um, I think Chalab has done really well in a three this year, but I wouldn't trust him in a four. I think that's been the case at Wolves with these defenders as well. I know they overpaid for him, but I do think Nelson Semedo's had a decent season at right wing back. I think Rayonate Nuri is the real gem that they have defensively. I think he looks like the type of guy that could play for a really top team. Yeah, I've liked Aiden Nuri for quite a few years now, actually. Um, mm. I put him down as one of the ones for potential backup for, for Robber before we obviously went and signed Costas um, on one of our podcasts. I think that they've got a few players who you could say they could build a new uh, iteration of this team around, regardless of whether they stay in a three or a four, to be honest. But you're looking at people like Martinho at 35, Saiz at 32. Even Jimenez has obviously not been able to recapture his best level after the injury which is understandable but he's 31 uh marcel 32 three something like that these people kind of they're going to need to be phased out or just outright replaced fairly soon and i think that they have got even if people like um gibbs white hasn't quite gone on to be at the level we've seen kiana hover maybe linked with a move away but they've still got mm. people like pedro pedro neto there they've got um Ben Abedens, who's still only 26, eight Nuri at 20. These people can form the basis of a really, really strong side still. And as much as maybe he wants to play a, a three with some of those centre-backs needing it, eight Nuri, I think, probably allows him to be at his best just with nobody ahead of him too much and just able to uh, attack as, as a wing-back rather than a full-back quite often. 
Yeah, but I would be interested to see if they could play a 4-2-3-1. I would be interested to see him and Neto as a left flank. I, I think there's real potential with the two of those. Like, you look at it, and I, I think Hoiver has big potential, but I think he has to play as a fullback in a four, not as a wing back. If he's playing in a back three, I think he has to play the right-sided centre-back role. And I'm not quite sure he's physical enough to do that in the Premier League. But, you know, if you've got Semedo and Hoiver as right-back options, Aitnuri as a left-back, Kilman as a centre-back, if you could get a good centre-back in next to Max Kilman, you might have potentially a, a back four that you can develop. Neves, then Donker, you'd probably need one more in midfield to replace Matinho, who seems like he might move on. Um, Gibbs White, as you mentioned, he hasn't done it for them, but he has had a very good season on loan for Sheffield United, playing in a more attacking role. They've got Neto, they've got Gibbs White to come back. They really should have had Concalves, but they binned him off after two years for basically nothing, and he's gone on to develop into a star in Portugal. They had Vitania in on loan with an option to buy. It didn't work because Nuno couldn't get the back four to work. So they couldn't play him as the 10 they planned to play. They planned to have him and Pedence kind of platooning as a number 10 with the idea that Pedence would get sold because his value would go up and Vitania would be the replacement. But that hasn't been able to work out because they couldn't play a back four. And Pedence just isn't as good in the wide role in a, in a front three as he is kind of tucked in behind the striker. Trinkia, like I mentioned, ideally you want to play 4-2-3-1 with him on the right. They haven't been able to do that, so he hasn't shown his best. And the striker options just haven't worked. I mean, Jimenez was great before the the injury. Poor this season, or average this season. Huang, average this season. And the one they spent big money on, Fabio Silva, was nowhere near ready to make that move when they bought him. And they spent, was it $40 on him? $35 And he hasn't scored this season in 26 games. He got four goals in 37 last year. Ideally, you'd be looking to loan him out and get somebody else in. But, you know, you're talking about centre-back, holding midfield, either Trinkiao or a replacement for him and a striker. That's four big needs. It's a lot of money to spend. And that's before we factor in, well, maybe you have to replace Ruben Neves as well. Now, I know Neves would bring in a big fee, but... Are they going to be able to attract someone as good as Ruben Neves? It doesn't seem likely. It, they're in a tough situation going into next season, I think, where there's a lot of work for Bruno Lage to do. And I don't know that I trust their recruitment because there's just they're so blinded to making sure they get all these Portuguese players in for whatever reason. Like, it's ridiculous to look at a team with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 Portuguese, 12 Portuguese players on their books, registered in their first team. They only have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. They have 10 English players, and they've got 12 Portuguese players. That, that's just bizarre. Is it, is it, maybe it's just me. I find that bizarre. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's okay if it's, you know, the club culture and they've purposely done it that way, but is it sustainable? Is it still going to carry on making you a 
profit making side? Is that what they want to be? Is it is it going to keep them growing and being a team which can regularly contribute towards at least challenging for the European spots? I mean, like I said, they're not a million miles away, but if they do go on and sell Neres and Matinho this year in particular, you've got to build a new midfield, a completely new midfield. However, that is structured and however the manager is thinking of playing, you need a new engine room, which is a big thing to do. Are you going to restrict yourself? by only looking at Portugal or Portuguese players. Mm. And that in itself would be an odd thing to do unless they have already identified, like quite a while ago, really, really strong candidates for that role who they absolutely want. And it's just incidental. That's just where their uh, recruitment strength is or where their analysis is deepest or whatever it is. I mean, it's it's very limiting seeming, and I don't think it would be sustainable for too long. No, I don't think it's sustainable for the long term. I really don't. Um, in terms of what to expect from them this weekend, they do have a couple of injury issues that they're dealing with. So they will be without Kilman. Uh, so that's a big blow. They'll be without Nelson Semedo. That's obviously also a big blow. And they're without Roman Size. So, I mean, it's going to be a patchwork defense for them. And it's not really ideal when you're coming in to play Liverpool. So if we look at the team that played Norwich. Um, Bolly, Cody and Gomes played as the back three uh, Johnny Otto played right wing back eight Nuri left wing back Neves and Matinho were in midfield and then they had Jimenez, Huang and Neto as a front three are you expecting much change from that? I don't think there's loads of possibility to do so is there at the minute I mean especially at defence like you said with probably three who would always be starting, uh, not there. You could, because it's the last game of the season, they've basically got nothing to play for other than do they stay in that place or do they go down one place? Is it going to be something where the manager's looking a little bit like uh, Hasnoodle did and make a couple of changes, maybe from a tactical perspective, maybe giving someone like Jim Campbell another opportunity? There might be a young player or two involved. Mm. That's about all they can do, really, is... You know, maybe try and take a look at what they have available to them for next season. See if these young players that they have are are ready. If they're if they're capable of playing at this level, could Luke Cundle get a game? Um, Jem Campbell, you mentioned Chiquinho might get a start. He's looked exciting enough when he's had his opportunities. But yeah, I mean, it, look, they have been on the beach. They are very much in sort of seasons over we've survived we're top half that's fine we'll take a top half finish sort of mode and it does it does leave the door open for Liverpool to go and win this game without much fuss uh, now, <laughs> I would like it to be without much fuss do we really yeah, think it will be that's the thing um, when I, it comes I think it will be. Right? I think it will be I think if we can get an early goal I think I think it puts it to bed <laughs> If we could get an early goal, that would be that would be lovely. Honestly, I think that they would just say, "Ah, oh, sod it," and switch off to a certain extent. I know, you know, professionalism and all the rest. But we see it year after year. Teams who have got nothing to play for, they'll win six three on the final day of the season, or they'll lose two five or whatever it is, and it's just a thing that happens. You know, um, you look at it, and basically, what Liverpool need to do is whatever for anything else, just win the game. Now, realistically, just looking at the basic numbers of recent form, does it look like Liverpool would win the game? Well, how many goals do Wolves tend to score a game? 
The answer is about one. Like they scored yeah. twice against Chelsea, but they haven't scored more than once other than that game since the start of April. How many do they generally tend to concede? Well, they haven't kept a clean sheet for two months, and that was against 10 men Everton. They concede, what, 11 in the last four games, something like that? Mm. It should be a case of Liverpool being able to create at least two goals. At least. Just by recent form, players that they've got in the team, how they've been playing, all that kind of thing. Take out who's going to start from for Liverpool. And, you know, Liverpool are much better than people like. You know, Norwich and Chelsea and Brighton, who they've played recently, all that kind of thing. We should be capable, like everybody else, of creating a couple of goal-scoring chances which end up in the back of the net. As long as you're not completely wasteful in front of goal, at the very least, this should be 2-1 to Liverpool. That's before considering anything at all. And like, if we have everything to play for and some early news comes through from somewhere else or whatever it is and we just go all out, yes, you could see this being a bit of a cricket scoreline, couldn't you? Yeah, you could, you could, and that's that's the hope is that we can, if if we can get an early goal and we get news from the Etihad that you know Villa are causing City problems and City are struggling to break them down, which you know Tyron Mings, um, it, it can lift things, and these players will know that we're in a situation where. Something historic is here on the line. They have, at every big moment, our team have have turned up this season. And you would expect them, knowing what they need, you would expect them to go out and get the win here. Yeah. Um, now, we, we know that Fabinho won't play, and we know that Joe Gomez won't play. Mo and Virgil are probably fit enough to play, but I don't know that it's really worth the risk of playing either of them. Yeah, it depends how close they are to 100%, doesn't it? Because you don't really, if it's not necessary, want them to go two weeks without playing uh, without playing at all before the Champions League final. But you don't want to take any risks on them missing that either. So we've seen before where, you know, even if someone like Salah or Mane or whoever is going to get rested for a game by being on the bench, they'll still come on and play like 20, 30 minutes just to keep them you know, in a bit of rhythm, still give them a bit of game time and involvement and all the rest of it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen with at least one of them. I think with Van Dijk, there's less of an issue with that because he's mm. shown that he can, you know, miss a couple of weeks if it's absolutely necessary, step in and play exactly the same way. So out of the two, I would say it would be Salah who gets a run if he's fully fit and, you know, available and there's no real risk of re-injury or anything like that. And obviously part of that is the fact that it would be nice if he rediscovered some semblance of penalty box form. Yeah, well he's also he's also the one who probably will want to play some part because he's only one goal ahead of Hyung Min Son in the golden boot race and he won't want to miss out on a golden boot. So uh Mo will probably push to be on the bench if he's fit enough to be there. Um but like you said giving them 15, 20, 25 minutes at the end of the game, if it's put to bed and it's just for them to come on and, and get, you know, get into their rhythm and, and, you know, just get used to being on the, on the grass again, that's probably the way forward. So with that in mind, um, Trent will have to come back in, obviously, because Joe is there. I think Trent would have come back in anyway. Uh, I assume Andy Robertson comes back in at left back. So I'm guessing Ali, Trent, Joel, Ibu, and Robbo. 
as the goalkeeper and back four. Yes, with just one change then for the final, you would expect. And yes, with, with Virgil to come in. Yeah, and at this point, I would like to ask you, assuming that is the lineup for this game, and assuming both centre-backs put in an, an 8 out of 10, keep a clean sheet, who are you picking to start the final right now? Ibu. Ibu, because my biggest worry for their for the Champions League final is Vinicius and his pace down that side. Now, Trent has been outstanding defensively of late, but I do think having Kanate's recovery pace inside helps him more than when Matip is there. I think most of Trent's best defensive performances this year have come with Kanate next to him. And I thought Kanate's performance in the FA Cup final was outstanding. Um, I, I would probably go with him. I, I don't think anything phases that fella. So I'd probably go with him. And I know that's really harsh on Joel. But Ibu's been the one starting the Champions League games. Mm. So I think that's probably where, where I'd go. Yeah, I mean, I've been uh, for the last, like, you know, since the semi-finals, basically, going on the assumption that Matip would be starting the final because it was going to be Benzema. And with his movement and intelligence, Matip's probably the one I would trust more to be there. But what you've just said is kind of the point now of why I'm on the fence about which one I would really choose to play because nothing really has bothered Kanate. No type of forward has bothered Kanate. Neither side, left or right of the defence, has bothered Kanate. And over the last three months, taken all all of the defenders, in fact, uh, performances into the equation, I think he's actually been the best of them, including Van Dijk. Yeah. I think yeah. he has put in four now really, really top-draw performances in big, big games. So, I mean, FA Cup, he played every single minute of that competition right the way through. Didn't miss a minute, mm. kept a clean sheet in the final. Absolutely perfect. You know, he's been given... Was monstrous in the semi-final uh, as well. Yeah, he, he was brilliant. He really, really was. A goal and an assist, obviously, along the way to get to the final. But that was, like, his competition, really. Because he's been he's been given his chance to obviously bed himself into the um, Premier League. He's only played 10 games uh, in that competition, and that's fine. But it's a really, really big decision. And I honestly don't know which way I think... Klopp will go. Not which way Klopp will go, but which way I think Klopp will go, because I keep going backwards and forwards and at the minute he's definitely got the edge in terms of form. I just wonder whether the really, really cleverness of Benzema, you know, young defenders at some point come up against someone who does give them the next lesson that they need to learn, you know? Yeah. Do you want that to be Benzema in the Champions League final? No, that see, that is the thing. Now, I think it's a harder decision for Klopp as well because Kanate is likely starting the last two league games because if he wasn't, he could probably look at it and say, well, look, he hasn't played since the FA Cup final. Virgil and Joel have played the last few games. They've got their rhythm. Kanate would be cold coming in for the Champions League final. We'll go with Joel. But the fact that Kanate is playing in these games and playing exceptionally well... I really do think is a headache. Like you said, it's, it's who do you think is the bigger threat? Is it is it Benzema? Is it Vinicius? Now, Benzema's the bigger goal threat, but Benzema can't do it all by himself. 
Vinicius is the type of player that if he's on it, he can tear you apart all by himself. Benzema still relies on service. So Ibu's a better Vinicius stopper. Matip may be better suited to playing against against Benzema. You know Benzema's going to try and avoid Virgil for, for everything he's worth. Um, it's a tough one. It really is a tough I think I would go with Ibu because of his pace. And I, I just don't think anything frazzles him. And when you play next to Virgil, look, we saw, we saw Dejan Lovren play in a Champions League final against a better Real Madrid front three than what we'll face next weekend. And Virgil held his hand right the way through that game and Lovren put in a decent performance. If he can do that with him, Ibu is already levels and levels above Lovren. I, I don't really know that I'd have all that many concerns. Like He's gone up against City. He's gone up against Chelsea. He's gone up against, you know, Latura Martinez. He's played at big grounds. He doesn't seem phased by any of it. And with eight minutes to go, you're holding a lead. If Klopp wants to bring on a centre-back, I think Joel has an easier time stepping into a game that's already going on than a young player like Ibu might coming on in that circumstance. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, well, I mean, we've seen Kanati come on. Was it the League Cup finally came on as a sub? Yeah, um, true. I mean, obviously all this talk now and Klopp's just going to rock up for the final with a back three, isn't he, and play all of them. So. <laughs> it would be funny. It would be funny if he did. Um... Right, midfield for this game then. Um, my my guess is Naby, Henderson, and Thiago. But is there a case for just wrapping Thiago in cotton wool and keeping him for the Champions League final? Um, I don't think so. I don't think there is. You know, I think he's shown again. Or we've helped him to show that he's fine as long as you know he's not overused and he hasn't been. He's going to have a, had a nice week's rest again now. That he's okay and he's fine and resilient enough to to handle a game and then a game and then a game. He's not always played full ninety, which is good management of him. Uh, he's been left out at times, like against Southampton. I could see him being one of the ones who you know we were just talking about Salah, for example, coming on for twenty minutes. Well, maybe Thiago is one of the ones who makes way, but. You can't, you can't not win this game, really, can you? Let's be honest. If it, it would be dreadful to just make too many changes or go too far below maximum strength to protect people for a different game, and then City mm. do end up dropping points, and we didn't get the job done. I think in this situation, with a week's recovery again afterwards, yeah, I'd, I'd be playing him. I don't think we have to. I don't think we have to. It's not so much protect them, but. This idea of wrapping them in cotton wool, I think they've they've shown really good resilience this year. Him and Cater, the way that they've been able to, whether that's uh, their own training, whether it's the the club's ridiculously stringent management of them. Uh, we've seen in the last few days the reports of like the AI predictors that we've had mm. for fatigue and everything. I, I think we have to trust this. You know, it's it's worked. We're two games away from the end of the season. There's no specific reason you can't legislate for you know some of the time bad tackles go in or 
an overstretch and something goes or whatever, but there's no specific reason to suggest you can't possibly play this. We can't we can't leave him out. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely fair. I think it's absolutely fair. So um I mean it could be a case where we start start him and bring Nabi on rather than starting both of them. Um so Harvey Elliott might get another start. I thought he did quite well against Southampton. I thought Curtis did quite well against Southampton. So I wouldn't really be you know, against starting one of those two because we know they're not starting the Champions League final. So, you know, I wouldn't be against starting one of those two with one of Thiago and Naby and then Henderson in as the six. In which case it would be Jones for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair and, and give give Harvey a run off the bench maybe. Um, up front then, without, without Salah... In all likelihood, you know, if he's on the bench, um, do you go Mane right, Jota central, and Diaz left, or do you start Bobby, who I thought did really well against Southampton? Bobby was great. He was very, very good. Uh, I think I'd start Firmino again, to be honest. I would probably also start Jota again. I thought Jota was better than he has been. Not um not great and not you know scintillating in the build up like Firmino was at some stages, but better, definitely better. Really good work rate. His movement was pretty good. It was more the obviously the technical side, where his touch still doesn't quite seem to be there, and the shots which previously would have just bobbled into the bottom corner every single time, and now bobbling a few yards wide. Mm. I'd be I'd be inclined to start him again, even if it's on the right hand side, to be honest, or maybe him left. And Sadio Mane on the right hand side, and leave Diaz on the bench for this one. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about having the five really good options is that there's five of them. So if one's out, you can still rest one of the others. Um, and then it'll probably be the last time that that Divock Origi plays. And obviously, in the last game, I assume he'll come off the bench. In this one, is my point. Um, the last Premier League game because he's he's coming on to score the winner against Real, as we know. Um, the last time we played Wolves, it was Divock off the bench that got us the win. Now, obviously, there are no such thing, Carl. But if there was Premier League script writers, the script is written that we're struggling. City are one up. Villa score late. Divock comes off the bench and has the final Divock Premier League moment before he scores the winner in the Champions League final. Or that Tacky, who's just been so important to us all season in the Cups and in the league, he pops up with a a goal. Something along those lines, and we win it late on. Uh, That is what the script writers would have in store, but obviously that won't happen. What is your prediction? For Liverpool or for the title as a whole? Um... I think we're going to win this with not ease, not comfort, but in the end, distance. Let's put it that way. So the type of game where it's tight till 60 and then we score a couple and that's kind of it put to bed? Yeah, it might be sick. It might even be before half time. It's just going to seem like an eternity before we get that one, you know? I The only real fear I have of not winning is if news filters through that City have scored quite early and it goes all a bit flat. And the tempo goes yeah. down a bit, that kind of thing. It could like quite drag out then, you know. And it's it can be difficult to to sort of raise it from that kind of atmosphere. But also 
we have ridiculously powerful mind-wise players, don't we? And I do think that they'll overcome it, especially with all the first teamers back on and stuff like that. So I'm going to go for a... That's sorry, I'll go big. It's the last game of the season. 4-1, 4-0 to Liverpool. Why not? That's a shout. That's a shout. I'll say 3-0. Because Wolves are really bad in front of goal. I think Ibu... I think here's the other thing as well. Both Ibu and Joel will know that there's only one spot against Real. So both of them are going to want that spot. So I reckon both of them have monstrous games at centre-back. Crush that Wolves attack. I, I think we'll cut them open. I, I think they've just been... They've just been shaky defensively for the last couple of months. And I think that continues. I think we win 3-0. But I suppose I have to ask you for your prediction for Aston Villa versus City. <sighs> I really want us to do it. I really want them to do it. I really want it to be Ings or Coutinho or Gary McAllister putting a long ball down the line that nobody notices, but I just can't see it. I can't either. I can't either. I saw um, I saw Damo, Dublin Damo, on Twitter say the other day, his head says Stevie does it, but his, or so his heart says Stevie does it for us, and his head is just a picture of Tyrone Mix. <laughs> yeah, that is um, such a worry. It, honestly, it is. I was speaking with a... Well, Santai with a about the match at the weekend, and like Emmy Martinez has a bit of a knee injury, and he may or may not play. And mm. Tyra Mings is going to play because uh, Ezra Conser is now out injured, so it's going to be him and Callum Chambers. And Chambers has been pretty Paul's good as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Callum Chambers has been pretty good since he went there. To be fair, but um, Tyra Mings has been pretty bad since he went there, and it's a lot longer ago. Yeah, I, I think. I think. Look, the the. Easiest way for this to happen is just for City to score early and just run away with the game and, and not fill us with any kind of hope. Um, but who knows? Who knows? I mean, there's always a twist. And may, maybe there'll be a twist this weekend. But if not, second to a team that have financially cheated their way to a Premier League title that no one will ever respect. And the bottom line is that, you know, we can just... Take solace in the fact that they're a bunch of cheating bastards and that we are the real winners of the Premier League this season. Um, but, you know, they're, they're probably taking the trophy home again. Uh, anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, I have a lovely timed piece on Mr. Ibrahima Kanate um, on the you know wider brilliance of him, for sure, but also kind of showing between where he was at the start of the season and where he is now, pushing for a place in the Champions League final, of um, what the other sort of squad members can do you know we saw them mm. obviously come in and do it for a, a game against Southampton but he's shown what it takes to be a, a first teamer for all those people so I'll stick that in the chat I'll throw it on Twitter and uh, hopefully he's going to get a hat-trick this weekend and we'll see him dancing around after the game last question last question better signing Canate or Diaz Ooh. I love Diaz. Uh, I've liked Diaz for quite a while, and I'm really, really glad he's here. But I think Canate will probably end up being here for longer, mm. possibly just because of the age, obviously. But um, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty glad that they're both a part of the regeneration of the team. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah, me too. And um, 
I'm not sure anybody has made a better signing than either of them in the past 12 months. So great to know that our recruitment is still very, very much at the top of the tree. And that will do us for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.